everyone. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. And this is Team Get Over It. We're an all-female team participating in the greatest motoring adventure on the planet. The Mongol Rally. We'll be driving 10,000 miles across mountains, deserts, and unknown terrain. And along the way, we hope to spread our feminist and environmental ideals. Join us here as we share our stories, thoughts, and interviews as we get ready for the Mongol Rally 2021. Hey, welcome back to the Get Over It podcast, and thank you for tuning in today. As we mentioned before, we are supporting two great charities in our participation in the Mongol Rally. One of the charities we've already talked about, Cool Earth. So today, we're going to talk about the other charity we are supporting, the Center for Reproductive Rights. Yes, because we are an all-female team, we wanted to support a charity that aligned with our feminist values, because we know how necessary reproductive health is, And we're furious that it's not something accessible to people everywhere. Supporting the Center for Reproductive Rights is one of the ways we can ensure that all women all over the world are getting the health care they need. Mm. Let's jump right into it, shall we? The Center for Reproductive Rights is an American charitable organization that was founded in 1992 by Janet Benshuf. At the time, it was called Center for Reproductive Law and Policy. Ben Schiff was able to advocate for reproductive rights using laws and constitutions of countries. She helped convince the Iraqi High Tribunal to recognize women's rights under international law, which was a first for a Middle Eastern country. The center also gained consultative status to the UN under her leadership, and she developed projects in over 40 countries and won major cases in the U.S. Supreme Court, including getting the FDA to approve emergency contraception. Janet Benshiff sadly passed away in 2017, but the current president, Nancy Northup, has headed the organization since 2003 and has continued to do amazing work. The center's goal is to create laws and legislation that will grant individuals in every country access to quality and accurate reproductive health care as a fundamental human right. I'm just going to read the snippet from their website because it's so beautifully written, I wouldn't be able to do it justice if I summarized it. So from the Center of Reproductive Rights, they say, we envision a world where every person participates with dignity as an equal member of society, regardless of gender, where every woman is free to decide whether or when to have children and whether to get married, where access to quality reproductive health care is guaranteed, and where every woman can make these decisions free from coercion or discrimination. Mm, I love that. Mm, It's good, right? It's a nice Mm, one. Yeah. So the Center for Reproductive Rights, basically, they tackle issues dealing with abortion, contraception, censorship, assisted reproduction, maternal health, and funding for reproductive health care. And they're active in over 50 countries in Asia, Europe, Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean, and the U.S. So they're really, they have an extensive reach. Yeah, busy, busy too. Mm, It is, yeah. (laughs) Um, And whenever, whenever they start a project in a country, they partner with local law experts to make sure that their approach is both culturally sensitive and effective, Mm. which is something I really love about them because Mm. there are a lot of cultural and religious rules surrounding reproduction, which definitely need to be breached in a respectful way, especially if you want to get people on your side. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true because, yeah, if they're resisting, then... You need to be able to convince them in a way that makes sense to them, right? Mm, of course. Exactly. So, 
I totally agree. And their methods have proven time and time again to be effective. So they have had a lot of success in many countries over the years and decades. Uh, too many for us to listen to this podcast, but we will highlight a few. So in 2013, in the or the Center for Reproductive Rights sued the Obama administration for restricting access to birth control, and the Department of Justice issued an order to make all forms of emergency contraception available over-the-counter and without any age restriction. So the Center for Reproductive Rights is one of three organizations who are fighting against abortion bans in the U.S. right now, uh, particularly in the states of Arkansas, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. Mm, which is so important, especially Very. with everything going on in the political climate. Mm. But they've also worked with the UN Human Rights Committee to ensure that reproductive rights are being respected all over the world. So in June of 2019, the center helped prove that bans on abortion trainings for doctors in Kenya were arbitrary and unlawful. They also worked in Nepal for more than 20 years and were a huge factor in getting the government there to recognize that reproductive rights are human rights, which is something that I feel like you and I can just scream to the top of our lungs. Yeah, like, of course they are. Of course they are. But there's still yeah, many countries and many places who don't recognize that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Very. Um, but, you know, on the upside, thanks to the Center for Reproductive Rights, in 2018, the Nepalese government signed the Safe Motherhood and Reproductive Health Rights Act, which guarantees quality reproductive health care and makes child and forced marriages illegal. Good. Mm-hmm. Say that louder. Good. People in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So true. Um, They've also been working hard to make sure that reproductive health care is still accessible during COVID-19. Because, of course, as Mm. we know, a lot of things are locked down. Uh, It's really hard to access hospitals and other health care centers. So they've been trying to make that uh, work as smoothly as possible. So in April this year, so April 2020, the Center for Reproductive Rights, along with 100 other human rights organizations, put together a joint statement arguing against a couple of bills proposed in the Polish government, which would make abortions illegal in every case except where there is severe fetal impairment. So I guess in that case, like if if the fetus is non-viable, if it's not going to live, Mm. then you can probably get an abortion. But like in other cases, no. So the other um, called has like the other bill called Stop Pedophilia, I guess, would make it illegal for teachers or healthcare professionals to give sexuality education to minors, which is mm. strange. I don't know where they're getting that from. Giving sexuality education to children, how can how does that equate to pedophilia? It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but they're saying Poland has some of the strictest reproductive laws in Europe. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's actually shocking, honestly. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine? No. (laughs) Those are the types of things I expect to see, like, the very red states trying to pass in America. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it does happen elsewhere in the world, which is why it's so great that the Center for Reproductive Rights is sort of working internationally. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and sort of like along that line, they also so in Colombia, they're even trying to get the government right now to ban the use of glyphosate, an herbicide used to stop cocoa plants from growing because it has been linked to miscarriages and possibly other fertility issues in the future that we don't even know about right now. 
Mm. And this is just a small yeah. fraction of the work that they're doing. They are constantly updating their website with reports. So if you want to learn more, because honestly, like I think it would take us two hours to go through all of the work and projects they're doing. Um, so, mm, yeah, they have updates daily, mm, daily. Yeah, it's incredible. They really do document everything they're doing. So if you want to learn more about them and what they're doing, where they're working, what they're doing in those places, you can go to their website. It's beta.reproductiverights.org and we'll link that in the bio as well. So finally, I guess uh, we want to talk about why the Center for Reproductive Rights work is so important. So the following information that, you know, I was able to find it, it's mostly from the World Health Organization's website. So if you love numbers and statistics as much as I do, (laughs) get ready, buckle up. So, so Every day, about 800 people worldwide die in childbirth or from complications after childbirth. 94% of these deaths are from poor to middle-income countries, and most are preventable. Mm. So if they had access to hospitals, if they had access to quality reproductive health care, they, they would have survived. They would have lived. So especially in countries like South Sudan, Somalia, Central African Republic, Yemen, Syria, uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Chad, Afghanistan, Iraq, Haiti, Guinea, Zimbabwe, Nigeria, and Ethiopia, those countries have the highest mortality rates. Pregnancies are often more dangerous for teens aged 10 to 19. So this is one of the reasons why that stopping child marriage is so important. Mm. Uh, Because, you know, if that person becomes pregnant, then there's a really high chance that they could either, you know, die um, from giving birth or from postpartum complications. Mm, Definitely. And the main contributing factors to these deaths are poverty, distance from the facilities, lack of information, inadequate or poor quality of service, cultural beliefs, and practices. Mm. And approximately 25% of the world population live in countries with highly restrictive abortion laws, But according to The Who, abortion rates are similar in countries that allow abortions to those that restrict them, making people seek dangerous and unregulated health care. Yeah, because I've heard I've heard that logic before, thinking that if we restrict access to abortions, then there will be fewer abortions. Mm -hmm. But that's simply not the case. Yeah, it's about the same. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Each year. Uh, between 4.7% and 13.2% of maternal deaths can be attributed to unsafe abortions. So that's about 30,000 deaths per mm. year. Oh, that's horrible. It's a horrible number. Yeah. Most abortions occur in developing regions than developed regions. So not so much in you know developed countries, but in developing countries, they, they perform more. So almost every abortion, death, and disability could be prevented through sexuality education, use of effective contraception, provision of safe, legal induced abortions, and timely care for complications. Mm. Yeah, mm. I I feel like I say that you know so many times, but like how many times can you say it before it actually gets done like provide these services it makes a difference it's so simple Mm. in 2006 it was estimated that a u.s 553 million dollars was spent treating serious consequences of unsafe abortions and an additional 375 million would have been required to fully meet the unmet needs for treatment of complication from unsafe abortions 
If everyone who wanted to avoid a pregnancy used and had access to modern contraceptives and all pregnant individuals and their newborns received care at the standard recommended by WHO, the benefits would be dramatic. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of people say like, you know, healthcare is expensive, but caring caring for people who get complications because they couldn't get healthcare mm. is also expensive. So what is it? Uh, like a stitch in time saves nine kind of thing. Mm. If you do it, you do it before preventatively, then, you know, in the future, you're in a much better shape. It's just, you know, simple, very simple. (laughs) (laughs) It seems so. (laughs) It seems so. Yeah. So compared with the current situation, so compared to now, unintended pregnancies would drop by 70% from 74 million to 22 million per year. So this is if uh, everywhere was properly funded and every person had access to reproductive health care. Maternal deaths would drop by 67% from 290,000 to just 96,000. Newborn deaths would drop by 77% from 2.9 million to 66 or 660,000. Right. The burden of disability related to pregnancy and delivery experienced by parents and newborns would drop by two-thirds and Even, as far as STIs go, transmission of HIV from parents to newborns would be nearly eliminated, achieving a 93% reduction to 9,000 cases annually, and that's worldwide, everywhere. STIs other than HIV receive relatively little attention, but take an enormous toll on reproductive health. In developing regions each year, an estimated 204 million women have one of the four major curable STIs. So that's chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, or trichomoniasis. <laughs> Never heard of that one. Yeah, trichomoniasis? Not sure. But 170 million, so 82%, do not receive STI services. Mm, that's wild. That's crazy. Wild. Uh, I can only imagine like the, the discomfort, I guess, and just the debilitating effects that must have on those people. Yeah, definitely. In all aspects of life, because when your health suffers, everything suffers. Yeah. Hmm. So although data are limited, new estimates reveal that compared with the current situation, fully meeting a person's need for chlamydia and gonorrhea treatment would prevent 27 million people from developing pelvic inflammatory disease and 7 million of those people from developing infertility. Like we could be saving lives, honestly, like 27 million people, we could be preventing them from developing pelvic inflammatory disease. Like, why aren't we? That's a great question, Sam. That's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) It's a question we ask ourselves every day. Um, Every day. Yeah. And so in addition to that, fully meeting a person's need for syphilis screening and treatment during pregnancy would also prevent 110,000 fetal deaths and stillbirths and 50,000 deaths among newborns and would also prevent 100,000 infants from being born with syphilis. Wow. Doesn't everyone want this? Like, don't we want to prevent this collectively as a world? That's just, uh, just like, just imagining like being like little babies, little babies mm-hmm. born with syphilis. It's awful. Those poor kids, man. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, and, and that's, and that's not the only problem. So, you know, with the global gag rule currently in effect, I'm sure everyone's heard of that. Uh, it's been talked about a lot. Non-governmental organizations uh, receiving funding from the U.S. are not allowed to provide or even assist in providing legal abortion services or referrals anywhere 
I guess, in the world. Trump expanded the global gag rule to include any recipient of any U.S. health funding. So and non-governmental organizations who are bound by American government policies are essentially, you know, gagged from funding organizations who provide safe abortions anywhere. The current amount of funding that the U.S. provides globally for health care is $11.2 billion U.S. dollars. Think of all the good that money can do. Mm, honestly, the global gag rule is one of the things that infuriates me most. It's ridiculous. It really is. It needs um, to just be gone. It does. Yeah. So organizations that provide safe abortions also provide other health services, which is something we've sort of been getting at throughout this podcast. There are so many other things that the Center for Reproductive Rights and all of these other organizations that are giving safe abortions actually provide. So having the gag rule in effect also affects HIV and AIDS programming, STI care and prevention, sanitation projects, hygiene education, sexuality education, contraception, and even clean water and general sanitation. Like it's not just about abortions. When you're preventing this funding, you're also preventing all of these additional services. Yeah. And so equality isn't something that one person can achieve alone. So we all need to band together to enact change. Um, And a quote that I really like, it's by Gloria Steinem. And she said, the story of a woman's struggle for equality belongs to no single feminist nor to any one organization, but to the collective efforts of all who care about human rights. Mm. Which is just, it's so true. You know, we can't have human rights if we don't have reproductive rights. Mm. And... Every president can choose whether to activate the rule or not. Mm. So, timely, if you're an American, I think this podcast is coming out before. If not, you're probably listening to this and you're like, I already know what's happening. Um, (laughs) But we're recording it before the election. And if you're an American, it's still before the election. Remember that in November, you have the right to help enact this change so you can choose to support basic human rights and reproductive health care for all individuals everywhere. Yes. And even if this is after November, after the election in 2020 this year, uh, keep that in mind for future elections, perhaps, Mm -hmm. you know. Definitely. Local and national. Every election is important. Yeah, you got to think about it. You know, recently... uh, I've really been thinking about politics and whenever you're voting for the president, you're not just voting for a person, you're voting for laws, you're voting for uh, the Supreme Court representatives, you're voting for uh, other kinds of legislation, you're voting Mm -hmm. for the vice president, like there's so many other factors involved when you vote. And then but you as as a responsible voter, you have to kind of consider those things. And one of the things that you have to consider too, from now on is the global gag rule, whether or not that candidate is going to activate it or not. Mm -hmm. And And also remembering that like whatever your stance on abortion is, it's reproductive rights and reproductive health care is about so much more. It's about access to sanitation, access to clean water, access to education, which Literally, it's life or death in some cases. Oh, yeah, that's true. And even even eliminating child marriages is also like a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. so many more things involved with that. And I think the same thing in the United States, uh, like there's sort of this huge attack on organizations like Planned Parenthood, who, yeah, part of what they do is providing abortions, but 
a lot of other things that they do is like we were talking about, like STI screening, general reproductive health care, you know, examinations, pap smears, cancer screenings, those kinds of things. And like, you know, and they provide that access uh, or they provide those services to people from low income mm-hmm. backgrounds as well. It's hugely important. And actually, like one of the things that came up when I was, I recently moved back to the United States for anyone listening that doesn't know that. And so I had to get back on insurance and pick a primary health physician. And some of them that came up are actually doctors that practice at Planned Parenthood. So people might have their primary physician at Planned Parenthood and they might just be going in for a checkup. So defunding Planned Parenthood could have effects on health across the board for people. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah. And they usually do a lot of other things, too, because I know my uh, like my gynecologist here also does a lot of like thyroid mm. health things as well. Like they, they check my thyroid for me every six months. So, yeah, it's not just it's not just about that. There's so many other things involved, too. And just imagine, you know, having healthy having healthy uh, pregnant pregnancies. Yeah, healthy pregnancies means healthy births and healthy babies that grow up to be healthy people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> Definitely. It's not, yeah, you can't even just consider the present either. It's also about the future. So if you want like, you know, a nice and healthy, clean, happy, healthy future, then you also need to provide these services for people. Mm-hmm. It's wild. You're preaching yeah. to the choir. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I know you you and I have talked about this a lot yeah yeah I feel I feel like I mentioned something about this at least once every day because it's just you know a lot of people and and I mean it's not it's it's not anyone's fault for being ignorant about it because it's not really talked about that much usually when we think about reproductive uh reproductive health care all we hear about is abortion bans hmm yeah. yeah, and I think I think we need to change the narrative a little bit or we have to change the reporting or something and then to make it all encompassing. Yeah. It is. It's a it's a hot button topic and I think people mm-hmm. take very decisive stances on it, but mm-hmm. as a society I think we do need to acknowledge that there's a lot more to it. You can't stop supporting an organization because they help provide safe abortions without also acknowledging that you're then stopping you know, other services that are keeping women safe, whether or not they're getting an abortion, you might be preventing them from getting health care during their pregnancy as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's awful. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, we could go on all day about this topic, but that's a little unrealistic because <laughs> I don't think I don't think people want to listen to a podcast that long. So <laughs> If you want to learn more about what the Center for Reproductive Rights does, I think like Sam said before at the beginning of this podcast, you can check out their website at, and I, I guess they must be updating their site. Um, Seems so like it. Yeah, but, but it looks cool. The new layout is really nice. Um, so the their website is beta, so B-E-T-A dot reproductive rights dot org. So B-E-T-A dot R-E-P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-V-E-R-I-G-H-T-S dot O-R-G. It's like alphabet soup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I started, yeah, so it's like A-R-E. This is my kindergarten teacher. 
<laughs> if you were moved by what you heard here today and want to help out in some way, please consider making a donation to our team at our website, so teamgetoveryit.com slash donate. Mm. I won't spell I won't spell that one. No. You'll be, helping, <laughs> you'll be helping some great causes and there are also some amazing perks to supporting our team. Mm, that's right. When you make a donation through us, you can get fun rewards like postcards and coffee from along the route, t-shirts, stickers, and pins. You can even make us make fools of ourselves by proposing to strangers, making a music video to the song of your choice, or getting tattoos again totally controlled by you, the donor. The full list of donation perks and gifts can be found on the donation page of our website, which again, we will not spell out. Yes, the link in description. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we are also accepting corporate sponsorships. So for as little as $15, you can sponsor an episode of this podcast. It's good advertising and you can feel good because your money is helping people around the world. Again, Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your support. Yes. For our next interview, we will be talking to a health professional about reproductive health. There are a lot of myths and misunderstandings surrounding reproductive health. So hopefully mm-hmm. they'll be able to set the record straight for us. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. It does. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. see you then. Okay. Bye. Bye. That's it for today, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. And as always, please support this work by subscribing and donating to our cause at www.teamgetoveryit.com. Donors get access to specific content like stickers, t-shirts, and postcards from our journey. You can donate for as little as $5 and the benefits build from there. Go to our website for more information. Or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Team Get Over It. Thanks for listening. And catch us next time on Get Over It.